Uh, is this down? No, okay. This is what the stage will look like. Isn't that beautiful? And, oh, well, no, you want it this way? This is the side that's going to be up. Yeah. We have a miscommunication here. They're saying it's this. It's not. It's this. <sighs> Confusion in the house of God. All right. But that's it. And we just figured since we're a church on the rock, we might as well have rock up here. So anyway, <clears throat> there you go. I'm so excited about this series. I've never taught it. In my whole pastoral life, career, I've never taught it. It's going to be a great one. How many of you wish you were closer to Jesus? Seriously, in your daily walk. I think we all do. And that's what this beautiful book is all about. So I'm going to introduce you to it. But let's just pray right now. And let's, I, know, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But take the hand of your neighbor. They're not going to bite you. And let's just pray that God changes us, renews our minds, speaks to us and really opens up his word. Father, we thank you right now that we are the bride of Christ and you are the husband. And Lord, you have called us not just to be, quote, saved, but to have a relationship with you that grows by the day once we are saved. You died not only to save us from hell, but to bring us into relationship with you. And so we pray that that relationship is enhanced that it grows, that, Lord, you will change us and draw us closer. Now, I want you to breathe a prayer, church, and just say, Lord, tonight, let a closer walk begin than I have ever known before. I receive with meekness your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tell your neighbor... You're about to be changed, and you can be seated. This, this also takes me back to the beginning of the church here in this building. We, it really reminds me of that. Uh, but anyway, let's look at this. Now, the Song of Solomon uh, is an incredible book. It's called The Song of Songs. And, oh, quickly, by the way, there, I, I've received a message. The notes are available. As soon as we're done tonight, if you want the notes, they're right back there. And by the time we're done, you will have a book of the Song of Solomon just taught. And, pardon me? They're, yeah, they're for sale, but not much. It's not much. And um, it'd be worth you, you getting that. Now, um, also, I'm deeply indebted to commentator John Phillips, who has become one of my favorite commentators for uh, insights into this book and helping me break this book down, and not to mention the ever-faithful Matthew Henry and a guy named Strong's. Okay? So let's look at this. The Song of Solomon is called the Song of Songs. In the temple was the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the King of Kings. And this book is Solomon's Song of of all songs. Now, it's probably the most difficult and controversial book of the whole Old Testament, no doubt about it. God is not mentioned, get this, anywhere in this song. God's not mentioned once. It's never quoted in the rest of the Old Testament. 
And nor is the Song of Songs ever quoted in the New Testament. So where do you find it? You find it in one place, in the Song of Songs. And that's it. Now, aside from the book of Revelation, no other book in Scripture has so many divergent interpretations. We will get the right one tonight. I believe. But, but that's my humble opinion. Uh, yet for us, one of them is the simplest and the clearest. And I'm going to explain the way we're going to interpret this book in just a minute. A little background. The story is chiefly concerned with a Shulamite shepherdess who has given her heart to a shepherd. They remain true to each other despite the initial opposition of the Shulamites' bros, brothers. Their love story is complicated by the combined efforts of Solomon and his court women, the women of his court, to overawe and win over the Shulamite and bring her heart from the shepherd to Solomon. And she is kind of, in this book, kidnapped and becomes a virtual prisoner in Solomon's pavilion. Now, the shepherd in the story, here's, here's, here's the illustration, the metaphor. Here's where I really believe this, this book is meant to go. The shepherd in the story pictures Christ Jesus. The one the Shulamite's in love with pictures Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. The Shulamite is you and me. It, she mirrors the church uh, or the individual believer who's devoted to him. So you've got uh, the shepherd... Jesus Christ, you've got the Shulamite, who is a picture of the church. And then Solomon, believe it or not, represents the prince of this world. And he employs worldly pomp, worldly power, and glittery magnificence to advance his cause. Okay? Now, the court women, the women that we're going to run into over and over again in this book, represent those who admire this worldly prince, Solomon. They look askance at those who turn their backs upon the world and all that it has to offer in favor of an absent and to them unknown beloved. They do not understand the Shulamites' love for this shepherd. When Solomon grabs this girl and takes her into the pavilion and tries to make her his own, these court women do not understand why she won't jump at the opportunity. Okay? Now, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to cover... Part one, an hour of trouble. That's tonight. Part two, an hour of temptation. Part three, an hour of tenderness. Part four, an hour of truth. Part five, an hour of talk. Part six, an hour of togetherness. Part seven, an hour of testimony. Part eight, an hour of testing. And part nine, an hour of triumph. This book is going to be so good. This is going to be so good. This is going to be so rich. Now, let's begin with part one, an hour of trouble by setting the scene. The Shulamite was tending her flock when she was suddenly seized and abducted to Solomon's pavilion. He saw her and he said, whoa, who is that? And he ordered his guys and they grabbed her and took her off to the castle. She was naturally very much alarmed. Now, soon... Some of the sophisticated women of Solomon's court enter the pavilion. These are the women that are part of Solomon's famous harem. Remember he had uh, um, 
I think 700 concubines. He had a thousand wives. No wonder he cracked up at the end. How many of you guys can say, one's all I can handle? And now to get, make it fair, how many of you women can say, one husband's all I can take? All right. We're fair around here. Now, the court women have heard the Shulamite talking to herself about her beloved shepherd, and, and they find it amusing what she's saying. So let's just jump in, starting at Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And here's how it starts out, and it's the Shulamite talking to herself. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Now remember, he's not there. She's talking to herself about him. Now this verse has been rendered, man, this thing's jumping around without me for some reason. This verse has been rendered, oh, for a kiss now, if we're talking to Jesus, can we all say that together in the, in the sense of, oh, for the touch of his spirit on my life. That's the idea. She says, oh, for a kiss. Now, she's not talking about Solomon, even though she's in his pavilion. She's not interested in Solomon. At this point, she hadn't even met him. She'd just been kidnapped and taken into his pavilion. All she knew was that she was in this stupendous magnificent pavilion of Solomon's and that she was in love with not him but with the shepherd it didn't matter to her one whit that the women of the court despised her love for the shepherd his love to her was better than wine for her as is wine the shepherd's love was fulfilling intoxicating exciting and so forth though I don't counsel anybody to drink wine just had to throw that in. Here we have a clear picture of Christ and his bride, the church. As the Shulamite found herself in prison in the pavilion of the prince of that world, so we ourselves are in the pavilion of the prince of this world, the devil. The Bible says that the prince of this world is the devil. And are we not right now in his pavilion? Yeah, we're in his pavilion. We're living it every day. And I don't know about you, but every single day, what's going on in the devil's pavilion we call the world uh, vexes my soul. I can't wait to hear the shout from heaven, come up hither and go up and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Because though the world is getting darker and darker, I believe the church, the real church is going to get brighter and brighter and more and more in love with him. Amen. So this, this book is just a constant metaphor or illustration or picture of our relationship with our shepherd, amen, as the bride of Christ. Now, as the court women mock the Shulamite for loving the shepherd, the children of this world mock us for loving our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because they don't understand it. They don't understand it. Why don't you want to do what we do? Why don't you, you know, want to go where we go? Why don't you want to live the way that we live? What is your problem? We say, well, you know, my, my, it's not really a problem. It's a blessing. I love the shepherd. I love the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I can't help it. I'm in love with someone else. So Solomon, the prince of this world, and his pavilion, the world over which he rules, uh, guess what? It doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't, I don't care about it. I want 
the shepherd. Our attitude every single day should be what hers was. I don't care what you say. His love is better to me than wine. Amen? Now, it's worth noting here that the word love in that verse, in the original, it's plural. It reads, his loves, plural, are better than wine. One experience with him is not enough. I want to know his loves multiplied. I want a blessing and an experience with his love every day. What about you? I don't want to go out the front door till I've had a touch of his love on my heart. Now, two things stand out to the Shulamite about her beloved. First, she is going to brag about the magnificence of his presence. Look what she says in verse 3. Let's read it together. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Wow. You think this was a mistake? The Holy Ghost wrote this. Because isn't his name sweeter than perfume. Now we could render this, sweet is the odor of your ointments or rare is the scent of your perfume. The sound of your name is wafted like a fragrance. Praise God. Here's what she's saying. The very name of the beloved conjures for the Shulamite a sense of his presence. Now we don't know what his name was. He just called the shepherd, but he had a name. And she's saying, when I hear his name, something just comes all over me. I feel a presence. He didn't need to be physically present. His very name caused her heart to skip a beat. In the same way, the name Jesus. Can we just say that name together? Jesus. It brings to the the believer the very sense of his presence. You know, people are known by their cologne or perfume or lack thereof right? There is a perfume Kathy wears. And I can tell when she's been in the room when she's not there because I walk in there and I can smell the perfume and I love it. And I immediately think of Kathy when I smell the perfume. It's great stuff. I can't wear it, but if I could, I would (laughs) because it's really good stuff. But it's Kathy's fragrance. And and so she'll, she'll go by me And sometimes I don't really even notice her going by, but when I catch the scent of that perfume, that really gets my attention. And here's what the Shulamite is saying. She's saying, she's saying, when his name is mentioned, it's like perfume. It's like cologne. It brings his presence. And isn't it true that when we sing the name of Jesus, when we speak the name of Jesus, when we pray the name of Jesus. Isn't that the key that unlocks the door to the presence of God? If ever there was a name that is as ointment poured forth, shed a fragrance over all of human life, it is the name of Jesus. You know, you can go into a room of people and you can say Muhammad, you can say Buddha, you can say Confucius, you can say... The name of any person, any religious leader, any name you want to pick. But when you go in there and you say affectionately, as one who knows him, Jesus, it immediately releases the fragrance of his presence into that room. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. And this Shulamite 
is so completely in love with the shepherd that if she just hears his name, her knees go weak. It is the saving name, the name of Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It is the sanctifying name. We're to do all things in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's the sovereign name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is no name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. What a precious name, beautiful name. And it brings the presence of God. His name, the name of Jesus, is the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease. As W.C. Martin wrote in a a song, I like this, he said, Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Jesus, every day the same. Jesus, let all saints proclaim thy worthy praise forever. Isn't it interesting when the world wants to cuss? They never say, Buddha. No, something instinctively wants to take that precious name and abuse it because that name is precious to heaven. It's precious to God. It's precious to the redeemed. So she's just, she's just, all it takes is the mention of the shepherd's name and she's gone. So the Shulamite talks about the magnificence of his presence. And then she talks about the magnetism of his personality. She knew him well enough to know that he could do three things. First, he could draw others. Look what she says. Your name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Translated, all the girls are in love with you. He was popular, but guess what? He loved her. The shepherd's personality was irresistible. Let me tell you something. To know Jesus was to want to be around him. Do you know that Isaiah tells us he wasn't good looking? He was not a looker. He, he, he was not like uh, the Hollywood Jesus where they find some blue-eyed blonde with a perfect square jaw and walking around looking like a glorified hippie. That wasn't Jesus. Isaiah said, there is no beauty that we would desire him. There is no beauty about his personal appearance that makes us want to be around him. It's not that that draws. Not that he was ugly. He's not saying he was homely. He's just saying he did not have a particularly striking looks. He's saying that what it was about Jesus was who he was, the way he was, his purity, his love, his, the, the power and magnificence of his personality. It was magnetic. As the shepherd's personality was magnetic, so is our shepherd's personality, the Lord Jesus. To know him is to want to be with him. One of my favorite verses is when the disciples came to Jesus early on in his ministry, and they said, Lord, everybody is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Mark 1, verse 37. Why would that be? Because as soon as he began his ministry, you couldn't get enough of Jesus. Can I just brag on Jesus a little bit tonight? Let me tell you, you get one taste of his love and nothing else will ever do. I mean, he eclipses immediately. Any drug, any alcohol, any illicit relationship. Listen, the love of Jesus is what compels us. The love of Jesus is what constrains us. The love of Jesus is what upholds us. The love of Jesus is what motivates us. It was the love of the shepherd that motivated the Shulamite, and it's the love of our shepherd that motivates us. The second thing the Shulamite knew was that the shepherd could deliver her. 
She cries out, draw me, draw me. We will run after thee. Now remember, she's in captivity in Solomon's pavilion. Another rendering is, draw me to you, let us make haste. That's the Hebrew there. The Hebrew sense is, draw me, let's get out of here. Draw me, let's make haste. Then she adds the reason for the urgency in her voice. She says, "Uh uh-oh, the king has brought me into his chambers, and I know what he's got on his mind. So she feels herself in peril. She does not want to be with the prince of the world. She wants to be with the shepherd. And do we not have the same conflict? All How many of you can feel in your heart sometimes saying, Lord, Lord, draw me. Lord, the world is calling to me. I'm being tempted. There's this and that coming against my soul. Lord, draw me. Let us make haste. The king has abducted her and brought her into his inner chambers, but the shepherd can save her, and she believes that. And how a simple shepherd could scale those high walls and enter the king's palace and rescue her from all this is not told. That is not the language of logic, and it is not the language, or it is the language of love. She's not using logic. She's not saying, now I know you're strong enough and big enough to scale these walls and come get me. It's not logical. But she's not dealing with logic. She's dealing with love and faith. And so she believes anything is possible to him. And it's the same with us. Logic says, wow, look at these prison walls that I face. Look at this addiction. Look at this problem. Look at this vexation I've got. Look at this insurmountable mountain. Look at this deep, dark valley. How will I ever scale this or walk through this or get on the other side of this? It seems impossible. But then something rises up inside of us and it's love and it's faith. And we say to ourselves, and I've said this a million times, though it looks impossible, my shepherd Jesus can do anything he wants. And I want you to know, folks, that tonight, whatever you're facing, Jesus can deliver you. I want you to have the faith the Shulamite had for the shepherd she could not see, the shepherd she could not talk to in person, and yet she believed, he's going to get me out of here, draw me, let us make haste, come and deliver me, my shepherd, my love. Every outward circumstance said it was not possible for the shepherd to rescue the Shulamite. But guess what? At the end of the book, we're going to see he did just that. He rescued her. Love found a way. Now her shepherd could draw others and he could deliver her. She knew that. He's magnetic. He can deliver. And a third thing he can do is delight all. He can delight everyone. She strikes a threefold chord when she's talking about the way that he can delight all. And I want you to notice what she did when she is in, she's trapped. She's in a terrible circumstance. She doesn't know when her deliverance is going to come. She is in danger. She's waiting for the shepherd to show up. I want you to notice how she handled her problem as she sat in this circumstance. Because some of you right now, you're trapped You're in a situation and you don't see any way out. You don't know when the shepherd's going to show up to deliver you. You don't know how it's all going to work out in the end. But what we can do is we can learn from this Shulamite. Look at what she did. The first chord that she struck is one of 
rejoicing. Look what she said in uh, verse 4. We, read this with me everybody, we will be glad and rejoice in you. Now I got five of you doing it. Let's try the rest of you. We will be glad and rejoice in you. Now notice she's not overwhelmed with an emotion. She said, I will. I will rejoice in you. So rather than slip into despondency over her circumstances, the Shulamite chooses to rejoice in the shepherd. I can't tell you how powerful praise is when you're in a situation that you can't get out of. Praise is so powerful. She said, well, I can't do anything about my circumstances right now, but here's what I can do. I can rejoice in the shepherd. I can lift my hands and I can rejoice in him. I can rejoice in the shepherd. Now, the second chord she strikes is one of remembrance. She said, we will remember your love more than wine. This is so powerful, and I hope you catch this. Because this Shulamite is showing us how to maintain our spiritual equilibrium in a tough spot. She said, first, I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm just going to praise God. I'm going to praise him. If for nothing else, I'm going to praise him because I'm saved. If for nothing else, I'm just going to praise him for the blood. If there's nothing in my circumstances that I can praise him for, I can praise him for him. And so I'm just going to praise him for him. I'm just going to rejoice in him. And it's going to be a decision. I'm not overwhelmed with, with some Holy Ghost thrill to, to lift up his name and rejoice. She said, I will to do it. And then she said, while I'm rejoicing in him, I am going to remember what he's done. Now, hear me tell you what the devil wants to do. When you're in a valley or, or you're in, a, in the fiery oven, the devil wants you to focus on that oven or on that valley. He wants you to look around and he wants you to look in. The last place he wants you looking is up. He wants you looking around and he wants you looking in. And he wants you fearing your circumstances and he wants you slipping into despondency and depression and despair. The Shulamite, who didn't even have the new covenant, who didn't have the blood of the lamb, who didn't have Pentecost, yet she still knew, I'm in a circumstance that I can't do anything about, and it's a bad one. But what I am going to do is I'm going to choose to rejoice in my shepherd, and I am going to set my memory on the things he has done for me. I'm going to remember when he set me free. I'm going to remember when he moved that mountain in the past. I'm going to remember when he took me through that valley before. Because if he did it then, he can do it again. I'm going to build my faith on what he has done for me. Instead of focusing on the negatives, I am going to focus on him and I'm going to remember his great acts that he has done in my life in the past. I mean, this little, this little gal is giving us some insight. Now, that's the second secret of a victorious life. First, rejoicing, then remembering all the good things about the shepherd. Now, the third chord that she strikes is one of righteousness. Look what she says about him. The upright love you. The upright love you. The character of the shepherd was such that upright people loved him. You know, folks, I would take, I would take being around a bad Christian than I would a good worldling. 
Because character out there is going down the tube. But those who have been touched by him, even nominally, have better character than those in the world that have never known him at all. He says, the character of this shepherd was such that upright people, she said, the upright love you. Solomon had no love for the shepherd. Solomon didn't care about the shepherd that she was in love with, nor did the women of the court. They thought she was ridiculous and being silly and missing a great opportunity to be with Solomon. They could not see his beauty and neither can the world that surrounds you. Don't expect them to understand. They never will. So it is with the world we live in. While the church, the bride of Christ, are enamored with the beauty of Jesus, the world can't see anything in him to desire. They look at Jesus and they say, well, that's just rules and regulations and not having any fun in life. And and on and on and on they go. They do not understand what it is like to be absolutely engulfed in the power and love of the Holy Spirit and have your life turned around and be set free from everything that entangled you and was destroying you and to get up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning. I mean, they don't know what it is to walk with the Lord. They think it's just a religion, but it's not. It's a relationship. And it should be growing every day. You know that a person cannot love this present evil world and also love Jesus? The Bible says whoever loves this world is the enemy of God. To the Shulamite, Solomon, who again is a picture of the world and the prince of this world, to her he was a conceited, pompous bore. In verse 5, the Shulamite becomes aware again of the court women. She takes note of their high style and their high fashion and compares herself to them. Look what she says in verse 5. I am black but comely. O you daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar and as the curtains of Solomon. Now look what she's doing. She, She is aware that they are looking at her. She's aware that the court women are sizing her up. They live in Solomon's court. And she's aware that they're comparing her to them. So she says, I know, I know, I know, I'm black, but I'm comely. You daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Now, here was the deal. The skin of the court women was white like porcelain. Because they never saw the sun. They never went out in the sun. But the Shulamite was a country girl. Every country girl in here say amen. Amen. We in Fort Worth here. The the Shulamite, all of you you Fort Worth girls ought to like her because she was a country girl. And her skin was tanned. That's what she meant by when she said, I'm black but comely. Her skin was tanned. Look what she said in verse 6. Don't stare at me because I'm dark. Quit staring at me. Get your eyes off of me. Quit looking down on me. I like the way that she stood up for herself. Because I'm darkened by the sun. She's telling them, if you don't understand how my skin got this way, it's called the sun, and I've been in it. She's saying, I got it honestly. I'm suntan. You girls ought to try it sometime. I'm suntan, and I'm not ashamed of my upbringing. But she also knew that she was beautiful. Like the curtains of Solomon. I mean, folks, there's a reason when he was out gallivanting around that he saw her. 
and said, guys, go get her and take her into the pavilion. Take her to my palace. That girl is beautiful. She was a looker. Now, these court women were looking at her like, ah, look at her. You know, her skin's dark, and she's dressed like a shepherd girl, and uh, she's not all that. But she was saying, hey, quit comparing me to you. I'm suntanned, and I happen to know I'm beautiful. That's what she's saying. (laughs) I like her. She didn't say, oh, I know I look terrible. I know I'm no count. I don't know why he's fooling with me. She said, I know why he's fooling with me. Like the Shulamite, we should accept ourselves just the way we are. Amen? Just the way you are. Because as they say, as the old preacher said, God don't make no junk. She, she accepted herself. She said, I'm suntan, I'm a country girl, and I like it, and I like me. And quit looking at me like the way you're looking at me because I'm beautiful, and I know it, and I don't care what you tell me. She was refusing to allow these court women to define her down. And boy, I'll tell you, we need some of that in the church. I know I love Jesus. Quit looking at me that way. You're right. I I am sun-tanned. And and so quit looking at me like there's something wrong with me. I'm proud of my tan. I'm proud that there is visible evidence I have been with the sun. I'm proud that there's visible evidence that I know the Son of God. And I'm not ashamed, so quit comparing me to you because I happen to know I'm worth looking at. I'm beautiful because God made me. And I'm not going to let you define me down or make me feel bad about having been in the presence of the Son. She wasn't showy like the court women. She wasn't a strutting peacock. But she fully accepted her natural beauty, felt no need to compete. Genuine beauty, everybody, is an inside job. And she knew it. She was beautiful on the inside. That's why the shepherd was in love with her. And Solomon was drawn to this. He just didn't know why. Now, next we discover that her own family had been against her love for the shepherd. Now, here we get into getting persecuted for loving the shepherd. Already, the court women who symbolized the world, pomp, splendor, glitter, magnificence, all that the world offers, that strutting Vegas-type world, these court women were persecuting her, mocking her for refusing to defect from the shepherd and go to Solomon. And it's that way with you and me every single day. We fight that battle every day. And, and, the, and the, the citizens of the world mock us because we will not defect from our shepherd and go to the world. And that's what it's all about. This is what this girl's experiencing. But now we're going to find, not only does she experience it with the world in these court women, but she also experienced it from her very own family. Look what she testifies in verse 6. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. Well, what does that mean? Her own brothers have been against her love for the shepherd. They didn't like it. Her brothers did not like her relationship with this shepherd and had done all they could to separate the two. So what did they do? They had taken her from the fields where she regularly met with him and had put her in the vineyard to toil. They separated her. So it is many times with a Christian. 
Did you know that Jesus himself predicted a man's foes shall be they of his own household? I experienced that. When I came to the Lord, all my old friends were like the court women. What do you mean you're with some shepherd? What do you mean you love Jesus? What are you talking about? You'll be back. You'll be back. One of them even lit a joint and blew it in my face. And I said, you don't understand. That joint, that stuff, now that I've tasted the love of the shepherd, you might as well, you might as well try to give me castor oil because his love is better than wine, better than pot, better than anything the world can offer, his love. And so they made fun of me, but then when I went home and started bragging on Jesus, and my mother's going to hear this, my mother walks with God now, and, and I love her, and she loves me, and we're good, and she's a, she prays every day. She's a woman of God now. But at first, and she'll admit it, I wouldn't bring her here to testify, but she'll admit it, that when I first got saved, it was, oh, Jeffrey, he goes from one extreme to another. There he is out there in the drug world. Now here he is, all caught up in religion. But they did not understand that I had not gotten religion. I had met the shepherd. I had met the shepherd. And, and, and so... But boy, my, my family, this, this word of Jesus, a man's foes are going to be his own household, his mom, dad, brothers, sisters, cousins. Interestingly, she follows this little bit of family information, telling us that her brothers had given her a hard time and tried to separate her from the shepherd. She tells us that she had been made so busy in the vineyard where her brothers put her, that she had neglected herself. Look what she says. My own vineyard, I had to neglect. They, they made her so busy, she didn't have time for the mirror. That's what she's saying. I neglected myself. Many of the best commentators believe she was talking about her own charms as a woman. So busy was she that she couldn't spend time in front of the mirror, she couldn't spend time on herself. Her brothers had, had kept her so busy she had no time for herself to doll herself up in, in the way that she did and to go to meet the shepherd. And she's regretting that she's had to neglect herself. But it didn't matter. The Shulamite was beautiful without all of that. Admirably, she didn't worry about it. And this is what I like about her. She wasn't given to heavy self-criticism. And she wasn't given to narcissism. And folks, let me encourage you tonight. Don't beat yourself up. Don't let the devil get you to beating yourself up. Don't criticize yourself. I think it's a great, great, great day when you wake up and accept how God made you. And this is what this Shulamite teaches us. She says, I, I, had neglect my, I had to neglect myself because I was so busy. They put me in this vineyard, took me out of the field. I didn't have time for the mirror. I didn't have time to get ready to go meet him. I didn't have time to meet him, period. But she says, you know what? That's okay. I know I'm still beautiful because beauty is an inside job. Don't, all this plastic surgery going on all the time. You look at the before and after of some of these movie stars. You, oh, oh. I mean, they're beautiful and then they ruin themselves because they get all self-critical. Well... I don't quite have it right. So they get their lips put out. We call it fish lips. And um, I'm sorry, but, you know, you look at the before picture and they look just fine. But then they go and they get all this Botox here and Botox there and their eyes. And, and, and you see them and you go, oh, oh, hi. 
what's happened to you? You would never, ever have gotten this Shulamite to get such an operation. Say with me, God don't make no junk. And she wasn't narcissistic. She did not think the world revolved around her. Now next, she hearkens back to the freedom she had shared with her beloved shepherd. She starts thinking of the way it was before her brothers separated her from the shepherd, before Solomon had her kidnapped and taken into the court. They had been free to meet and exchange mutual vows of love. She's longing for those days before all these obstacles got in the way. And she cries out. She says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Now she's talking to a shepherd that's not there. But she's talking out loud, talking to herself. She's saying, hey, shepherd, love of my heart, Where are you grazing? Where's your flock? Where are you resting your sheep at midday? I long to find you again and be with you. Then look what she says. Why should I be like a veiled woman uh, beside the flocks of your friends? Why should you be keeping me a secret? In other words, why can't I be open with my affection? I'm veiled. Why must my feelings be veiled? I, I want to express my feelings. Why must I hide? I want to roam free and I want to be open with you. That what she's saying is, I miss the times we had. I'm really missing personally being with you. You know, my brothers, they came between us. And then now this, the prince of this world and, and the court women of this world have, have taken me away. And there's no way I can get to you. So I'm having to, to look, just kind of yield to what's inside of me and express what's inside of me. And she's saying, I miss you. I want to be with you. Where are you? Do you know that Jesus came to earth to restore us to perfect freedom? What she's wanting is freedom. Here she is in this court. She can't get out. He's out there. She's in there. She can't get out. And she's longing for the freedom to be with the shepherd with no hindrances. Now think for a minute. Jesus came to this earth to remove hindrances between us and God. Let me tell you what I believe. Every time somebody takes cocaine, I've never done that in my life, thank God. But they take that cocaine, they snort it. What are they looking for? I am convinced they're looking for the shepherd. They don't know it, but they're looking for that spiritual connection that their heart longs for. They just don't know how to find it. Those that drink, those that smoke it, chew it, snort it, shoot it, whatever. What are they looking for? Why would you sit there and ruin yourself? Because I'm looking for a spiritual connection. I just don't know how to find it. I don't know how to get there. I I want, there's something I want. It's like an amnesiac that knows there's something back there that I'm just not remembering. I know that somebody is there who knows me and loves me, but I can't remember. I don't know exactly where they are or who they are or who I am. 
but I'm longing for it. And this, this woman is saying, boy, I, I, I want to be free again. I want to be free to connect with him. And can I tell you, church, that Jesus came to earth and died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be free and unencumbered, delivered from the prince of this world and delivered from this world to be free to fellowship with him. That's why Jesus came. So I think what she's saying here uh, is exactly what a lot of people say when they're looking for the Lord. They just don't know it. Jesus said, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you will be free indeed. Free of what? Free from the prince of this world. Free from the pull of the world. Free from the chains of the world. So that you can connect with him and know him and fellowship with him. Satan, on the other hand wants to bring us into bondage. This is exactly what Solomon had done to the Shulamite. But the Shulamite had tasted of real freedom, and she wanted it back. Now in verse 8, the court women mock her. Look what they say. They say, if you don't know, O beautiful woman, where to find him, then follow the tracks of the sheep. And graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Do you see that they are cutting her down? She's saying, hey, they're saying, hey, country girl, you really want to give up Solomon for that shepherd? Then go out there and start following sheep tracks. And hang around those stinky shepherd tents. Go ahead and take second best is what they're saying. She said, if you don't know where he is, they say, then follow the sheep tracks and pasture your young goats by the huts of the shepherds. And, and, and it's so sarcastic what they're saying to her. You don't seem to understand your current position, these court women imply. Don't you understand what Solomon is offering you? You can be his favorite. And how many times do we hear in our mind's eye, don't you understand what you could have out there in that world? And here you are saying, I want that shepherd, and you're out there following shepherd tracks? You're missing a great opportunity to really have fun, really live, really party, really enjoy life. And here you sit around churches with sheep. Do you hear it? Do you see this? And you can be his favorite. Oh, if you go out there in the world, you would be a winner. If you go out there in the world, you would have so much, you would be so popular. You would, this and that and the other, translated the world as yours for the taking, Shulamite. If you can't grasp this opportunity, then you deserve to return to the life of a country bumpkin. You don't know what you're missing. But guess what? Returning to the life of a country bumpkin is exactly what she wanted. What they despised, she prized. You know why? Because he was there. Let me tell you something. Wherever he is, that's home doesn't matter if it's a stinky shepherd's tent. There's nothing. You could have gold, silver, wealth, fame, esteem. You could be his number one, but she wouldn't have been number one for long. But right now, you could be his number one, and, and 
You could be somebody. She says, I don't want to be somebody in the world. I don't want the prince of this world. Solomon doesn't appeal to me. And old church, we need to be saying every single day, Solomon doesn't appeal to me. The prince of this world doesn't appeal to me. His pavilion doesn't appeal to me. The court women, I don't care what the court women or the people of the world think. You better believe I will follow the tracks of all the other sheep because they're all going where I want to go. That is into the presence of the shepherd. And even if it's a, if it's a stinky shepherd's tent, that's where you're going to find me because where he is, it makes everything beautiful. Amen. Likewise, the world cannot understand why the believer turns down what it offers. Peter wrote these words. He said, those who do not know God are surprised. You do not join them in the sinful things they do. They're surprised. What do they do? They laugh at you. And they say bad things against you. Peter says, that's okay. The spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. But the Shulamite was no fool and neither is the Christian. She had tasted real freedom. The women of Solomon's court knew only the counterfeit freedom of commitment to Solomon and their resulting enslavement to him. Next time we're going to look at an hour of temptation. Can we stand? How many of you were blessed by this tonight? Isn't this good? Good stuff. Now, how many of you can say, I don't want the prince of this world? Well, that's kind of good. I heard a few amens. How many of you can say, I don't want the prince of this world? Or the court women's favor. That is the nod of approval of the world's people. Amen? And how many of you can say, even if the tent is stinky, if the shepherd's there, I'm there. Amen? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for this beautiful, beautiful book and the picture that we are shown. Thank you, Lord, that you've delivered us from Solomon the prince of this world and you've delivered us from his pavilion and we're in the world but not of the world we thank you Lord that you've introduced us to your love and because of that Lord there's nothing else we want more than that let's lift our hands and say great shepherd of the sheep I follow you Wherever you lead, I don't want what the world offers. Your love to me is better than wine. Now take a minute, and I want you to tell the Lord you love him.